Well, good morning, church. Good to see you today. Glad that you are here. Appreciate many of you that are uh, making your way back. And it's good to have those of you joining us online and, of course, our venue service joining us as well. Last week, we were in Genesis chapter 3, the rebellion, the willful uh, defiance and disobedience of Adam and Eve. Satan had confused and contradicted the word, and he caused uh, doubt. If he can undermine the word of God, he can get us to doubt. And anytime we don't know uh, accurately and believe the word of God, we're going to get in a lot of trouble uh, spiritually. And you know, all of us, just like Adam and Eve, for all of our earthly life, we'll be tempted with the desire to be our own God. Uh, we'll be tempted with the desire to decide what is true and right and do things according to our own standards. Men, you'll remember that we were reminded last week that Adam was present when Eve violated God's command and Adam was primarily responsible for the rebellion. The command had been given uh, to Adam before Eve had even been created and God held him accountable for the violation. Chapter 3, verse 8 says that God came walking into the garden in the cool of the day when they thought they had gotten by uh, with their sin. Here comes God. And he confronts and he punishes their sin. And just as he had warned, the minute they ate from the fruit of the tree, they died spiritually. And that set them also up for what we're all going to experience unless Je until Jesus comes, and that is physical death. The good news was the effect of their sin was not only punishment, the other effect of their sin was provision. And so we had last week in Genesis 3 the first sacrifice, the first uh, shedding of blood occurred in the garden as God provided covering for them. And that was the foreshadowing of the perfect sacrifice that was to come in Christ. And so God's confrontation of their sin was actually an act of mercy and of grace. He wasn't surprised by their rebellion. He's not surprised by my rebellion, by your rebellion. God actually, from the beginning of time, had a plan. Before they even ate the fruit, he had a plan to cover and to redeem all of mankind from the destruction and death caused by sin. And so this morning we come to chapter 4. <clears throat> chapter 4, we're going to study a man by the name of Cain. He's the main character in this chapter, and we're going to see the full effect of sin and its destructive power on those who refuse to repent. So let's look at chapter 4. Let's read the first 16 verses together. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. 
Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, we know that Adam had other sons and daughters. In chapter 5 and verse 4, it tells us that. That's the only way the earth uh, could have been populated. There weren't other peoples that God created other than Adam and Eve. All of mankind have descended from Adam and Eve. We don't know how many sons and daughters Adam have had. You'll uh, know that he lived 930 years, uh, 130 years old when he gave birth to Seth, whom we'll look at next week, and then he lived another 800 years. So we don't know how many, but there are only three of his children mentioned in Scripture, Cain and, and Abel and Seth. And although we can't be absolutely sure, it appears that Cain was the firstborn. Eve sees the birth of Cain as fulfillment of a blessing that God was going to give her children, and she was going to be the mother of all living things, it says in 320, or of all mankind. And you notice she says, she, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. God's design is that husbands and, and wives had the privilege of procreating, but it is his miracle to give life. Eve knew that, that Cain was the blessing and miracle of God because a child is born by the power of God. All human life comes from him. It's not just a biological process that, that we control, but God gives life. God places the eternal soul in a human. And every, every man and woman, every human created is made in the image of God. That's why it's so important for us to defend life. Because life is a blessing from God and life is given by God. From the moment of conception to the final breath, uh, we need to protect and we need to defend life. Verse 2, we don't know the birth order, but it appears that Abel was the second child. We're told that Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was uh, farming fruits and vegetables and, and maybe grains. Uh, in the creation account, you'll read that Adam and Eve were given uh, instruction that they were to eat plants or plant life. So it makes sense um, that, that the ground was being worked to produce food. Abel, on the other hand, was a keeper of sheep, but not for food. God had not yet given the instruction. This will happen in Genesis 9 after the flood. God had not yet given the instruction that they were to eat animals. So why is Abel keeping sheep? Well, one likely reason would be for clothing, um, for the wool that the sheep could provide. Another reason would be for sacrifice. It's apparent from this chapter, knowing that Abel came to make sacrifice, it's apparent God had given instruction on sacrifice to Adam and Eve. Perhaps that happened uh, in the garden when he made that first sacrifice, but God had given instruction on sacrifice, and undoubtedly, uh, Adam and Eve would have explained God's instruction on sacrifice to their children or to their sons. Now, proper sacrifice, the, the law around sacrifice was written in Mosaic law, but we already see in verse 4 that Abel understood the practice or the importance of sacrificing the firstborn of the flock and including the fat portions. Now, what you see in verses 3 through 5 are Cain and Abel coming um, to bring sacrifice, but only Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to the Lord. Well, why did God reject Cain's sacrifice. 
From the very beginning, God had decreed that for atonement of sin, a blood sacrifice is required. And you see that Abel brought a blood sacrifice, Cain did not. Now, there are instructions when we get to Leviticus. Uh, in Leviticus 2, there are instructions about grain offerings that the, pe- the children of Israel were to make, but the grain offerings were, were thank offerings. They were to thank God for his provision. Grain offerings were not acceptable for atonement, and God had not given that instruction yet. So what happens? Cain comes to bring an offering, and he basically brings a salad bar. I mean, it's probably a beautiful arrangement of the fruits and vegetables he had grown that he brings, but it's not acceptable to the Lord. Abel's sacrifice on their hand is bloody. It's not very appealing to look at as, as Cain's may have been, but the, the sacrifice of the firstborn of the flock shows that Abel is putting God first, and the fat portions represent the best of the animal. So Abel is bringing the best of his flock, and he is bringing the blood sacrifice that God requires. You know, probably one of the most important things about offering a, a blood sacrifice is that it indicates the person making the, the sacrifice understands that he's a sinner, and he's in need of forgiveness, and he's in need of, of repentance. So Abel understands that. The problem with, with Cain's offering was not just what he physically presented. It was the attitude of his heart. His offering was not a mistake for him. It represented or revealed what was in his spirit. What did Cain do? Cain brought an offering that was a a, a monument to his own work. Look at all I have done. And it was filled with with pride and and self-righteousness. Now, it was not wrong for Cain to be a farmer. Evidently, Cain was a very successful farmer. He probably didn't recognize the blessing of his success came from God, but he was a successful farmer, and farming was a a noble profession, but a sacrifice from the soil was unacceptable before God. He should have traded some of his produce to Abel and brought the proper sacrifice that God required. Now, what does it have to do with us today? Well, I want you to see that Cain's offering represents those who try to work their way to heaven by their own deeds. That's what that offering represents. And, and there are many today who are good people. They're moral people. They're hardworking people. And they want God to accept them based on their good works. Listen, God rejects those who do works to be accepted by him, just like he rejected Cain's offering. That's not acceptable to him. Why? Because those who are doing good works, first of all, they don't recognize the severity of their sin. The fact that, that we could think that our sin is so minor in the eyes of God that we can do some good things to cover it up? No. Our sin is like filthy rags. Our our, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags in the eyes of God when we use them to cover our sin. When, When you come before God thinking you are good enough or you can do enough good works, you don't recognize how severe your sin is before God. You don't recognize the incredible judgment that God is going to bring on your sin. You don't recognize the need for confession and repentance and forgiveness. When you come to God and you try to make it on your own good works, you're rejecting what Christ has done on the cross and saying it's worthless. Abel's sacrifice, on the other hand, Abel, Abel was a lot like the publican. You remember the story that Jesus told about the Pharisee and the publican that went to the temple to pray, and the publican was so weighted down by his sin, he wouldn't even look to heaven as he was praying, but he just beat on his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the attitude Abel has. 
As he brings his offering, he's saying, look how bad my sins are. My sin is so bad, I can do nothing on my own to merit the forgiveness of God. I need a sacrifice to cover my sin. And that's why he brought the sacrifice that, that God requires. By the way, in, in verse 3, not that it matters because Cain's sacrifice was not pleasing to God, but if you'll notice in verse 3, it simply says, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. It doesn't say it was the first of his crops. It doesn't say it was the, the best of his crops. Later in the Mosaic law, when grain offerings were, were um, set up, your offering was to be the first of your crops. Why? Because it was a thank offering for the provision of God. And by bringing the first of your crops, you're saying, I'm thankful for what God has provided. And I'm thankful, I'm trusting God that he will provide, that even though I'm bringing the very first of my crops, God is going to supply enough uh, uh, crop to follow to meet my need. But no, Cain's offering was self-righteous. It was based on his human achievement. We, we can't come to God that way. We have to come realizing there is nothing good in us. Amen. We deserve death. Without his grace and what he has done for us in sending Christ to the cross, we're completely hopeless. Well, Cain's failure to bring an appropriate offering is just a symptom of what's in Cain's heart. In fact, in 1 John Chapter 3 and verse 12, we're told that Cain's deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So the offering just indicated what, what was in his heart. The offering was wrong because the heart was wrong. Verse 4 says that God had regard, meaning he accepted both Abel and his offering. Abel's offering was accepted because his heart and his spirit and his attitude were right. God looks at the heart. Abel worshiped with his heart, and his heart was right with God. And listen, listen don't, don't miss this. Every time we come before the Lord, whether it's gathering in this place or coming before the Lord individually uh, throughout the week, every time we come before the Lord, every time we come to worship, we need to be cognizant of the fact that God is looking at our heart. Don't come do all the outward stuff. And don't come play the game if your heart's not right. It doesn't count. And your worship is, is worthless. God has no regard for that kind of worship. Scripture says Abel did what was right. What does that mean? Well, he did what God said, and he did it the way God said it was to be done. God's disregard for Cain and Cain's offering was because Cain was rebellious and prideful and sinful and unrighteous. Verse 5 says that Cain was very angry. His face fell. Cain wasn't just angry because his offering wasn't accepted. He was angry because Abel's offering was accepted, because Abel was accepted. Now let's think about it for just a minute. If Cain had been a true believer, how would he have responded when God didn't accept his offering? If he'd have been a true believer, he would have been heartbroken. He, he would have had deep sorrow over God's displeasure, and that sorrow would have led him to repent. Verse 6, the, the Hebrew language pictures, uh, the, the picture there is that there's heat rising up in his face. You ever seen someone get so angry their, their face turns red? That's the picture here. Cain is, is furious. He's angry with God, but he's also angry with his brother because his brother was a true worshiper and Cain felt like that reflected poorly on him. 
Why? Why is he angry? He's angry because he loves his sin. You know, in our, in our world today, those who are under the influence of society would love to uh, obliterate the Word of God. And the people who proclaim the Word of God, they'd like to, to shut them up as well. Why? Because they resent the message of the truth regarding their unrighteousness. They, they don't want to hear it. You watch and compare over the next five to ten years churches that hold to the uncompromising truth and churches that compromise to get along with society. Watch what happens. There will be very few churches that will hold to the truth, and there will be many who will compromise to get along with society. And the difference is going to get much more stark than it even is today. Verses 6 and 7, God asked Cain, why are you angry? Now, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, God's not asking questions for information. God doesn't need information. He, he knows all. God initiates a conversation with Cain out, out of compassion and grace. He initiates this conversation with Cain, hoping to bring him to repentance. He's wanting Cain to look inwardly and for Cain to see in his own heart what God sees in the heart of Cain. And he goes on in verse 7, he's extending that grace in verse 7, if you do well, meaning if you do what is right, you can be forgiven, you can repent. If you do well, you'll be accepted. Cain, you've got to look and you've got to acknowledge your self-righteousness and your sinfulness and the fact that you need a sacrifice. And then God gives a warning. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. What is he saying? Well, the, the picture of sin crouching at your door is like a wild animal or like a, a lion. Sin, Cain, is waiting to pounce on you. You're at a critical moment. If you don't stop the course that you're on, your sin nature is going to get the better of you, and your sin will rule all over, over you all your life. See, sin was deeply embedded in Cain. Like all of us, he was born in sin, but then he chose to live under the mastery of sin. And the decision he has in this moment as God is speaking to him, this, this decision is monumental. It's a choice between two paths. It's the same choice all of us face. We, we all have inherited a sin nature just like Cain. And that sin nature can devour us and defeat us, or we can defeat it. How do we defeat it? We defeat it by doing what is right. That's what God told Cain here, to do what is right. What does it mean to do what is right? Well, for the person who is separated from God, it's coming to God on his terms, admitting that we're a sinner, recognizing we can't be righteous, we can't be right with God on our own. We have to accept the sacrifice Christ has made on the cross, and we have to make Christ Lord of life. That choice is articulated clearly by Paul in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Let me read to you verses 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Well, Cain lets sin consume and control him, and so he kills his brother, Abel, out of his fury and his, his jealousy. What does God do? Look again in verse 9. The Lord comes and again asks questions. Where is Abel, your brother? 
God's not seeking information. Verse 10 tells us God already knows what has happened. God knows that Abel's blood has been spilled. God knows where Abel's body is. And by, by the way, we need to remember that we can't hide from God. Can't hide from God. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in the garden, the garden that God had made. Amen. Cain is now, he thinks God doesn't know what he's done. He doesn't know where his, his body lays. No, you, we can't hide from God. Our sins, not, not even one, escape God's notice. Not even one. Not even a minor sin that you or I commit escapes the notice of God. So, so why do we hide? Why, why do we hope we're not going to be discovered? All we're doing is extending our misery. Can you imagine Adam and Eve all through that long day thinking, hey, maybe we got away with it, and then God comes walking into the cool of the day. We don't, we don't get away with it. I often think of the words of David in the 139th Psalm. He says of God, you, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You, you can't even hide your thoughts from God. Even the things you don't speak out, God, God knows what you're thinking. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You see, there's nothing about me, there's nothing about you, not even our sinful thoughts that we don't speak out loud, even those are not hidden from God. And God, in his grace, confronts us with our sin to give us opportunity to repent. Why? Because we need to repent so that sin, the power of sin, does not master or rule us. So here, God gives another opportunity for Cain to repent. He's already killed his brother. There's going to be consequence for that, but he can be made righteous in spite of the fact he's killed his brother. He can be made righteous by God if he's willing. But he doesn't repent. He boldly lies. And you can almost hear the attitude in that. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Think about how sin has progressed. In the garden, Adam and Eve were timid about their sin. They were, they were hiding from God, not, not Cain. Cain. Cain has turned into a murderer and a liar, and he's a bold and brazen liar, lying to God. So God asks, well, what have you done? Not to belabor the point, but God's not looking for information. God doesn't need an answer. Again, he's giving Cain an opportunity. Unfortunately, there is no repentance. Cain is a picture of people who become hardened by sin. When people are hardened by sin, they don't want God. They don't want to be righteous. They don't want forgiveness. They love their sin. Think about it. Here's, here's the God of the universe speaking to Cain, offering forgiveness, offering a way out, offering an opportunity to repent. The God of the universe has come directly to Cain, and God could change him, and God could take away his anger and his bitterness and make him righteous, but Cain refused. He didn't want it. That's true of many people today. 
Three times we see here in the text, God has spoken in grace to Cain, but now the point has come when he can no longer offer grace and mercy. And so we see in verses 11 and 12, God's judgment on Cain. The ground would no longer be productive. Cain would be a fugitive and a wanderer. And of course, Cain was concerned about what might happen to him because people would know what he'd done. The earth is not vastly populated at this point. It's mostly the descendants of Adam and Eve. Family could be large, but not so large that they would not know what he had done. So he's going to be a fugitive. He's going to keep moving out of fear. He's going to wander from place to place, just trying to eke out a living, just trying to, trying to survive. He's aimless. He's detached. He's always roaming. That's a curse that God has placed on him. But look at this. After the pronouncement of judgment, you still see no remorse from Cain. Just complaining. After God pronounces judgment, he doesn't say, God, I'm, I'm so sorry for what I've done, for the judgment I brought on myself and my family. No, he just complains. He protests that God is unfair. Look, look, God, my punishment is too great. You're not fair. You're too hard. Those who are unrighteous see God as unfair and unjust and, and harsh. Why? Because they don't accept responsibility for their sin. I imagine at the great white throne judgment, when unbelievers are finally judged and, and condemned to an eternity in the lake of fire, I don't imagine any of them are going to be remorseful at that point. I imagine they're going to be screaming and cursing at God as if he's responsible for the outcome. What if Cain had been broken over his sin? What if Cain at some point in this conversation said, Lord, I, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. Could God have really forgiven Cain and could God have made Cain righteous? Well, let's think about the story of David, 2 Samuel 11. Remember that story, David and Bathsheba? David committed adultery. Then he committed murder. Now, he didn't physically actually commit the murder with his own hands, but he took out the hit on Uriah, had him murdered. And yet, when you look at Psalm 51 and you read that incredible prayer of repentance, and when you look in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, and read that God called David a man after my own heart, it's clear that God takes broken people and he restores them when they come for forgiveness and repentance. Could have been the case for Cain as well. We don't know, verse 15 says that God placed a mark on Cain. We, we don't know, there's a lot of crazy theories out there about what the mark was. We don't know what the, the mark was, but God protects him and shows mercy. Even after he's non-repentant, he protects him and shows mercy. And I believe that God sparing his life is to give him yet another opportunity to repent. But verse 16 says that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, just, just more defiance. He didn't want to be in the, in the Lord's presence, so he moves away from the presence of the Lord. There's, there's no mention there or any point forward of the grace that God has given, of God sparing his life, of all the opportunities to repent. You know, the story of Cain reminds me of 2 Peter 3, 9, where, where Jesus had said he'd return, and some were saying, well, where is he? 
In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter said, listen, God is not slow in keeping his promise. God's going to do what he said he would do. But he's patient. He's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. You may be here this morning, and you may not be worried about your sin, about your lack of relationship with God. You may think it's not going to matter. I've lived this way all my life. Well, God's being patient, just like he was with Cain. To give you opportunity. Well, verses 17 through 26 are so the rest of the story. I can't, it's, it's the descendants of Cain. I don't have time to completely unpack this, but I want you to see that Cain's descendants followed the same path that Cain set out for them. They didn't walk with God. Just as an example, look in verse 19. Lamech took two wives. This is the first instance of, of polygamy in Scripture, ignoring God's design for the marriage of one man and one woman. Now, if you're, if you're here this morning and you think polygamy is a good idea, you ain't married. <laughs> no disrespect to my wife or any wife in the room, but there ain't no man smart enough, attentive enough, loving enough. I could go on and on and on. You, you can't handle two women. You just can't. And, and if you look in the Bible, of, of every polygamist in the Bible, including David, who was a pretty smart guy, it appeared, a brilliant military strategist, Solomon. Solomon's supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived. You look at all these polygamists in the Bible, and every one of them paid dearly for that sin. And here's where it started, in the line of Cain. And then look down in verse 23. Lamech also killed a man, and listen, just so you understand what you're reading there, from the language there, he's bragging as he tells his wives. He's very braggadocious about the man he's killed. Cain's line is violent, just like Cain was. And what you see here in the genealogy in chapter 4 is that Cain's descendants were very smart. They were very creative people. They, they were intelligent. They, they invented sophisticated technology. But we can't say they were wise because they didn't follow God. Verses 25 and 6 are a quick introduction to see where we're headed next week. In verse 25 it says, And Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth was also born a son and he called his name Enosh. And then look at this last line. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What we're going to see next week as we move into chapter 5 is that Seth's line is on a totally different trajectory than Cain's. It makes a difference how you live, not just for your generation, but, but for the generations that follow. Cain's story is a, is a sad story of a man who thought he could be good enough, work hard enough. And even when God made it clear that that was not acceptable, and even when God gave him multiple opportunities to, to repent, he, he never did. And it didn't just affect his life, it affected the generations that followed. Well, this morning, anytime we come to the, the Word of God and, and hear what it says, we have to ask ourselves, well, well how do we respond to that? Let me suggest several things this morning. 
And the first is to understand that when your heart is not right, your worship's not right either. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel the prophet dealing with sin said, look, obedience is better than sacrifice. You don't, you don't come here for an act of worship if you're not living a life that's, that's obedient to the Lord. He, he's not impressed with your worship. Cain, Cain was participating in worship when he, when he brought that offering, that sacrifice. He was participating in worship, but his heart didn't belong to God. When you participate in worship, again, whether it's corporately or individually during the week, when you participate in worship, if your heart is not right with God, God doesn't accept it. Obedience is better than sacrifice. He, he calls on us to live a life of obedience. The good news is God is very gracious. When, when we're in sin, God is very gracious in, in offering opportunities to repent. But we need to hear him. We can't hide our sin. God already knows. Another thing to really think about is, is parents and grandparents is that our, our line, our descendants are going to follow our lead. Cain's descendants, it's no surprise the way that they turned out. If you could go back and trace each one, you could see it was just a violent, ungodly, unrighteous line of people. That, that's no surprise. Started with Cain. Our descendants, our, our children, our grandchildren, the generations that follow are very likely going to follow our lead. A lot of parents look at Proverbs 22 6, and it's, it's not a promise, it's a, it's a probability. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. It's a high probability for godly Christian parents that your children are going to follow your lead. It's not always true. They're free moral agents. You can have a child that, that walks away from God and, and doesn't live a righteous life, but for the most part, that's a high probability. So, so the question, I guess, for us today is, how, how are we living how are we doing at walking with God? What do we do when we find ourselves in sin? Do we, we stuff it and try to hide it and go on with life? Or do we respond to God's calling and opportunities to repent? Our, our worship, what we do here on Sunday, isn't pleasing to God if we're not living with him and, and, and walking with him every day. Would you bow? in this room, in, in the venue, would, would you just bow? And let's just take a few moments in both of our services. Let's just take a few moments and listen to the Spirit of God. Speak to us from his word and call us to respond. What has he said? And what do you need to do?